Hey, pod people. Uh, this is Historical AF. My name is Natalie. I'm Kina. I'm Frankie. We are a historian, a librarian, and a special guest bringing you the funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nugs you never needed in your ear hole. Yep, this is episode 57, and we're doing Warriors. And I really liked this one, though it's depressing. <laughs> yeah, I had funny, and I was like, how the fuck am I supposed to do that? Um, Not a great time. Death and murder. Oh, so much death and murder, but it seems to be a theme, an ongoing theme. I mean, it's warriors, that's their job, so. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. But a, really, a lot of really cool badass people, though. I don't know. I, I had some really cool discoveries, so I'm excited. For I did, too. I learned a lot. And I went outside my comfort zone. There are cer- certain types of history that I typically avoid because they confuse me, but uh, <laughs> I embraced it. <laughs> okay, Rome confuses me. You got Eastern and Western, and everybody has the same name, and it just gets very confusing. And I know it's an unpopular opinion that Roman history is bleh, but that's me. <laughs> Roman Greek, I'm like, bleh. there's so much other things. <laughs> Yeah, I think because it's overdone almost. Like yeah. I, it's one of my favorites of histories, or at least as a kid, that's kind of like your gateway drug of history is ancient yeah. Greece and stuff. Because I guess the Hercules movie when I was a child, I don't know. But yeah. uh, everybody's either a Greek kid or an Egypt kid or Dino kid or like I love Egypt. Egypt. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, just, I guess I lived in a good. <laughs> I, think I fell in the Egypt area too. Yeah, me too. I got I got my Egypt shit on the wall. <laughs> I still have all my stuff from as a kid. I had exact replicas. As like a seven year old, had replicas of all the gods and a giant mummy recreation. I was fine. <laughs> I had the little stamps that you can make codes in. Was it hieroglyphics? Oh yeah. Uh, so I could actually write messages in that. That was fun. We're so excited to have you back. You were here for a mini, Frankie, and now you're here for a full-blown episode. Which I'm super excited for. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it because I'm on book eight of the Dresdens. We have to talk. (laughs) Oh, I forgot to send you that message the other day. I know, but I knew you were Coming on here, I'm like, I got you, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and Frankie's you know, writing actually, an amazing book, so just uh, no pressure. I know you're writing it and you're stressed, oh, but it's going to well, be so good. Actually, I just got through a really, really difficult chapter to try to write because I wasn't sure where it was going. And as soon as I got past it, it was like, let's go now. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, awesome. I, I a nice flow point, so hopefully it'll keep oh, going. I'm so excited for it. It's gonna be so good. <laughs> and we're in it, Nat, so we're like yes. famous. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm making y'all central characters too. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, uh, it's it's like Rafat being like, I published a book, no big deal. We'd be like, we're in a book, no big deal. <laughs> Although oh. I'll never have her level of chill about anything, so I can't. The other that. day I decided it's probably gonna end up being multiple books. Oh, yes. Oh, awesome. I keep I adding too series. much to it for it to be one, so. Well, like every good fantasy or sci-fi, or any, no, they're never just one book. They're yeah. all a series. You gotta have at least a trilogy. Yeah, that's what. I, I was the exact same words in my head. 
Yeah, all my favorite ones were trilogies. I support this. The more books I'm in, the better. Because <laughs> it's all about me, right? It's all about me and that, right? No, no. We'll see the thing. She, is. That first one was what she really meant. It's yeah. all that's the one. She okay. was inconsiderate with the second half. I know. She's like, oh, I should maybe rephrase this. So now it keeps coming back. <laughs> Although I did read your chapter. It was really good. <laughs> I like how I tackle it. <laughs> yeah, I just put one up, I think, the day before yesterday or something like that, too. So. Oh, okay. I haven't got, I haven't got looked at it. That was the one that was really rough to get through. Oh, I'm so excited. You know, it feels like it's just a lot of world building with a not lot, not a lot going on. So it's, it was just driving me crazy trying to get through it. So oh, that must be really tricky though, because you're creating a new world. You have to find that balance of a plot, but you have to make sure everything makes sense. Well, and the fact that it spans such a huge amount of time, I'm trying to build backstory into it at the same time and making mm-hmm. sure that everything stays consistent so that there's not a bunch of like, wait a minute, whatever happened with that? Mm-hmm. Man. It's tricky. I do it. I don't know how you do it. Crazy ideas. I don't have the follow through or the thought process to to not have loopholes or it or the ADD would just make a left turn, you know. (laughs) So yeah, we're so excited to have you back. I'm so happy to be back. (laughs) I know you're really pumped about this word. I really, really was. So are we ready to jump into it? Probably as ready as we're gonna be. Oh, okay. <laughs> wanna roll? That's a good See where we start yeah. this bad boy. Weird. Weird? Cool. I'm all about the weird. <laughs> Me too. Okay. All right. So I found this really cool article about unusual military units. Ooh. So it's, I did not break out of my comfort zone. It's a list like I do. (laughs) The first one is the Potsdam Giants, the Potsdam. It looks like Potsdam, and I just think that's hilarious. It's probably not pronounced that, but it's funny to me. Potsdam. Potsdam Giants. And basically, it's King Frederick William I of Prussia. He was obsessed with tall people. Fuck yes. <laughs> so he went and recruited as many tall people as possible. And so these are people like most of them are actually around seven feet. So Kina, you'd be too short for this actually. What? Yeah. How many seven feet people are there? I don't for know, but they're an army. Well, granted, they branched out like this shows like a Swedish per Swedish person was over eight feet tall. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was like, I'm just kind of. <laughs> <laughs> he just blew my mind a little bit. Here. <laughs> but he was constantly looking out for the potential for the giants. And he was willing to beg, borrow, steal to get them. And he spent a fortune hiring outsized mercenaries, buying tall soldiers off military. So he he was not like, it didn't have to be just from his nation. It could be from anywhere. He just wanted the most intimidating, largest people in the world to be in this giant army. So P.T. Barnum looking for tall people. Basically. Yeah, yeah fuck that guy. 
Um, and when he died in 1740, his son actually disbanded the unit. So it only lasted for a little while, like during that time. Ah, oh, his son was the potato guy. <laughs> I just want, I was like, just leaving that potato guy. <laughs> it's funny. He even like, and hire women, like very tall women, to breed with them so they could try to even have like, grow a large army. <laughs> I'm like, that's. Uh, but two tall people could still have a short person. You know, my parents were not over 5'8, and I am six foot. So, genetics, yeah. son of a and bitch. And then the tall people just start having all little people. <laughs> yeah, what would he do? Would he be like angered? How dare you have a short person? That or he would just make a new unit. Yes, the Hobbit's unit. <laughs> uh, next is Viking Berserkers. And this one's super freaky in the sense that so Berserkers are men or warriors that have, they just have super range. They just tap into this anger that is horrifying and bloodlust. Now they are the serious, like, they rape and pillage. Mm. Yeah. This one is like, if you can't just look quite laughed off because the giant ones, they actually never went to fight. They just had this fancy ass giant army. <laughs> Here, they, these Vikings would be so bloodless, they would even turn on their own people, raping and murdering their own oh, brothers. No way, no. I know. That one, like, oh, against me. And there is even like a secret cult that was so- super obsessed with Odin. From them, and I thought that was interesting. Like, oh, yeah. Vikings cult within the Vikings. So, <laughs> <laughs> next Vikings up, it, obsessed with Odin anyway. I know, but it's like a whole nother level of, of obsession. Mm. Like, they would meet at night and do little rituals and stuff to oh, give them nice. strength and everything. Wow, crazy! Very like, nice. I, I don't know if I, I'm just glad I'm born now when I'm a man, even if I'm a <laughs> Next up is the 10,000 Immortals. Ooh. This was a, so it's 10,000 people army, and they're from the Empire in Persia again, a different one. So obviously not the Giants. But what made them have the Immortals is that they always kept exactly 10,000 people. Oh. So if a brother or someone fell or were sick and they died, they would replace that number. So they always had 10,000. And that's why they were the immortals. Hmm. Oh, loophole. Oh, that one's down. <laughs> Next. <laughs> <laughs> like, it makes you feel real important. Yeah. <laughs> number 99. <laughs> also, I'm like, how do you, how do you keep up with 10,000? Like, how do you even know? God, it's probably some plea that that's their job. It, like, count every day. <laughs> like, I, as much as I lose count when I'm counting things, imagine me and that person, you know, 9,996. God damn it! They just stand in the food line going, one, <laughs> two. <laughs> wow. I was like, can you hold still, god damn it? Like, I think I'm twice. Maybe they all did. got, like, a buddy and you just, like, have to report if your buddy dies. Buddy down, and you know what? I guess it'd just be easier to count the dead bodies and then that's fair. Replace them. I wonder if it's like there's always these funny stories where people go off to war and they come back with like an extra dude. What do they do if they come back with 10,001? Because somebody was like, I like you better. 
to just murk that guy out. Send him back to the bench. (laughs) Send this one out. Your number will be called. (laughs) Don't worry, you'll be back soon. This is like the DMV. (laughs) 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 Next up is the Ghost Army. Have you you all heard the Ghost Army? It sounds familiar. All I can think of is Lord of the Rings. (laughs) (laughs) I approve. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but no, it is, it's the summer of 1944 and the U S army, it's actually us that did this. Oh. And it was basically designers and artists created fake tanks and, and they made recordings and played sounds to make it seem like we had a lot more troops. Oh, over the, the war. And I can uh, see how that might work. Yeah, I mean, when, when they did this, actually, it was one. Let's see, General George Patton, like in one of his battles, they actually kept several days' protection on one side of the line. So, like, they had the real army and soldiers fighting, and then it made it look like the border was protected because they had these fake, uh, they had actors dressed up as military men, and then they had uh, a couple of fake tanks and a lot of record players, like, playing hmm. the sound and stuff making it really seem like a lot of people were marching and talking and milling around and they had like one whole side of their camp protected because of this oh wow Um, they went on more than 20 missions and stuff and fooled a lot of people actually impressive yay artists and they're also there to give misinformation to Nazi spies as well. That was also a big part of their job. Creating the ruse. Next up is Gurkhas. The history of the Gurkhas stretches back to 1814 when the British forces clashed with the city-state of Gurkha during the Anglo-Nepalese War. Anglo-Nepalese War. Through, though significantly outgunned, uh, these warriors were inflicted heavy casualties on the British and eventually forced them into a peace treaty. And impressed by the Gurkhas' grit and tenacity, the British included a stipulation in the peace deal allowing the Nepalese fighters to serve as volunteer soldiers in the East India Company's army. I had no idea that that happened. Either. They were later incorporated into the regular British army and they went on to serve in nearly every major British military action from the 19th and 20th centuries. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have no idea. They're famous for their core of knives, of course, and the motto is better to die than to be a coward. Oh. <laughs> All righty, then. <laughs> I'm okay with being afraid. <laughs> I was like, I don't fit in. I'm sorry. I'll be a coward. I want to live. To this day, the British Army handpicks around 200 new Gurkhas each year from a pool of nearly 30,000 Nepalese youths. Oh, Wow. Recruits go through a grueling screening process that includes a long-distance run through Himalayas while wearing a wicker basket filled with 70 pounds of rocks. Yep. Hard pass. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't run. <laughs> Who runs? My most, the most steps I get is going to the kitchen. Well, then again, I, I haven't done the rucksacks with the 65-pound pack, so. Yeah, you're like all military and stuff, though. Was. Go off. <laughs> <laughs> Can you still do that? No. No, I could not. Nope, not. Not since I broke both of the lower bones in my leg. Oh, no. 
was thinking that. What happened at work? I dropped a 200-pound piece of equipment on my oh, knee when yeah. I was kneeling underneath it. Broke my tibia and fibula just above my ankle. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me about that because you're the safety dude now. Yeah, that's how I got that job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always say that. It's like if running is part of the apocalypse, it just I'm just done. Just count me out. <laughs> Can't do it. Anyway, next. Okay, I got one more. And it's the Mormon Battalion. The what, Mormon? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> It is weird. The Mormon Battalion has the unusual honor of being the only unit in U.S. Army history comprised entirely of the Latter-day Saints. The Faith-Based Fighting Force originally came out came out in July 1846 after negotiations between Brigham Young's church leaders and the U.S. military while the Mormons hoped the battalion would pave the way towards the west of America. By providing equipment and soldiers pay, President James K. Polk saw it was saw it as a means to help make the Latter-day Saints friendly allies to the U.S. government. And although it never saw combat, the 500-man Mormon battalion became one of the most well-traveled units in American history. The men began their service by making a grueling march out of Isla and through hostile Indian land to Santa Fe. From there, they proceeded through the wilds of Arizona. I think it's funny to say the wilds of Arizona, but thinking of all the territories, it, it would be true. Dust. <laughs> I guess like <laughs> I don't know. And into the Southern California, where we performed garrison duty around San Diego, San Diego, and Los Angeles. The short-lived battalion was mustered out of service in July 1847, at which Point most of its members headed north to join their fellow Mormon pioneers in Utah. Huh. Well, I didn't know any of that. You don't hear about President Polk all that often either. So. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, I know when I was talking about Hell on Wheels, there's a big, you know, the train is more moving towards the west, and there's a big part of the show about the Mormons. So they probably, they, I don't know if they ever say the Mormon battalion but there is definitely that presence and getting them guns and having a military and Brigham Young they have a guy that plays him that is talking about making a nice establishment and working with the president and moving towards the west so like it all it checks out Hmm. well that's interesting anyway so that is some weird units and the the weirdest one to me is the giants though yeah just Having seven feet tall people just could you imagine them rushing towards you though? You'd be so scared you'd run away. There'd be no more. <laughs> I would just stare at them to be honest. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I mean, people, people were built. extra superstitious at that time, too. Yeah. So they mm-hmm. probably just assumed that this was some like weird god thing. Like, uh run away. It's just what's more interesting is just the fact that they never saw combat and they just, I don't know. It's just because they were something weird and intimidating. Just hang around being giants. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Grabbing things off the top shelf. (laughs) Oh, God. That's that's wild. Man, I would love, I love being around people taller than me. I would have the best time. 
I like people that make me feel small. <laughs> I wish I was taller, actually. When God. I was little, I wanted to be six foot. Oh. I was very disappointed when I stopped at five seven. <laughs> I now Skilo is running through my mind and I can't stop him. What is it? <laughs> Skilo. I wish I was a little bit taller. Oh. Yeah. That is- yeah. Well, it's weird. Like when I was 15, I was, I think it was like 5'8, and then I broke my leg and I had a lot of x rays and stuff. And by the time I got my cast off, I was six foot. And I was like, what'd you do to me? <laughs> like, <laughs> like some radiation bullshit. Like, but it's weird. My growth plates never closed. Like they're still open. I am old as shit in oh, my growth, growth plates. And I think it's part of the whole like lupus RA thing. Like some people I've met, there's never closed. So I just kept growing. And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, this is getting ridiculous. I got to stop. Yeah. Ooh, quick pause. Uh, Robin's comment is really cool. The Gurkhas are super badass, she says, and their physical conditioning is absurd. There's actually changes to the cardiovascular. I cannot talk today. (laughs) Anyways, their system from training in the Himalayas. Like, that's cool. That's really cool. So would it be similar with, like, altitude? Doesn't your breathing so similar like yeah, Colorado? The air thinner up there. Huh, that's really cool. I now that you mention it, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I would hate. I would hate that so much. <laughs> running, but also running in the Himalayas. You'd probably feel like you're suffocating until you get used to it. Yeah, I mean, if you're from there, though, it's more normal. I guess. No thanks. Hard pass on the cardio. <laughs> Do not like at all. I'm trying to walk every day. I'm just like, I know I need to do cardio, but I'm like, Ugh. also, just I don't like it. It's- the, the place that we're moving to, it's backed up against this giant nature area that just has a bunch of trails. Oh, cool. So we're going to have lots of room to walk around. It's going to be really nice. That's cool. We're getting to the point where the dogs are like, please stop. We've been walking them like three times a day. <laughs> and at some point, they're just going to strike with <laughs> little signs. Leave me alone. <laughs> All right. I'm going to roll the dice. <laughs> oh, morbid. You just, you have morbid. That is random. That's me. So my word came from Frankie. And that was I don't smell, remember this. Smell fungus. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I remember this. <laughs> and I was like, I don't even know what that means. I had to look it up, and it. Yeah, oh, ranking. <laughs> let me let you me make that to pick that. Yeah, oh, it was back one. when we were ta- or when you guys were talking about uh, how people were giving you words that you'd never heard before. Yeah, I specifically looked for a word that you probably didn't know. It's true. I did not. So smell fungus means a habitual fault finder or a complainer. Fun fact. And I figured nobody complains more than Rome when they get their ass kicked by a woman. So (laughs) that's where I went with this. Oh, man. A woman. A woman. A warrior queen. And uh, more than once. So. Back where are you from? Huh? <laughs> What'd you say? Like, where are you from? Like, what accent is that? I'm a warrior. It's another podcast. I say that a lot. Oh. Anyhow, so 
Buckle up for the most legendary female warrior from antiquity, the Asini Queen Buricha. I think that's how you say it. There's like several versions, and this is where I'm going to go. And It is a tribe based in modern-day Norfolk, a place in eastern England. I grew up in Norfolk. In my whole life, everybody thought I lived in Norfolk. Did not. <laughs> anyway, the only physical description of Buricha is from Dio. And although it may not be accurate, it leaves readers with the impression that she was determined and a war leader. Quote, in stature, she was very tall, in appearance most terrifying, in the glance of her eye most fierce, and her voice was harsh. A great mass of the tawniest hair fell to her hips. Around her neck was a large golden necklace, and she wore a tunic of diverse colors over which a thick mantle was fastened with a brooch. This was her invariable attire. So, quite the description. And then it was added that she always clutched a spear, and she clutched it while she spoke to people. So, she's making her stance known. (laughs) Don't fuck with me. (laughs) In other words, she was a badass warrior, and then the Roman men were kind of butthurt. They called her a wronged woman who was hell-bent on vengeance. So it's interesting to see the different interpretations of people based on, you know, where you're from. So a little background. The Roman Empire under Emperor Claudius launched a successful invasion of Britain in 43 AD. No, CE. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) In my head, I'm like, which one? I try not to say AD anymore because it's not accurate. CE. 43. There we go. With an army estimated to be around 40,000 men, military campaigns have been launched by earlier Roman leaders against the Brits, and one was actually led by Julius Caesar. Ever heard of him? But by this time, the Romans were here to stay. Claudius's force didn't try to defeat every British tribe. Several leaders offered to make their kingdoms client states of Rome, and this basically meant that as long as their leaders lived and did Rome's bidding when they asked they could maintain some level of sovereignty within the Roman Empire. And that's what the Asini people did originally. They were one of the tribes who agreed to this arrangement, and they remained a client state of Rome until the death of Prostagus, Prostagus around 60. It's so weird to say dates that are just two numbers. It doesn't come out naturally. <laughs> I have to really think about it not to fuck that up. All right. So the Incini at the time of the Roman invasion were a wealthy people, and this was evidenced by the hordes of precious metals they found at the sites, and the leaners had been minting coins for nearly a century at that point, so they were very wealthy. And then after this, the designs of the coins that were minted by Prestigus appeared to strike a balance between showing the tribe's allegiance to Rome and trying to display a degree of independence. So he was trying to walk this fine line between both sides. So he was trying not to, like, fuck shit up. Like, if I just appease them just enough, they're not going to come attack. But even before Budicha, the Isinese client-state relationship with Rome was very problematic. In 47, a short-lived unsuccessful revolt was launched by the Isinese against Rome. This rebellion may have led to the elevation of Prestigus to the leadership of the tribe, perhaps being seen by the Romans as a leader who could keep the Isinese in line. Essentially, they liked him because they're like, he's a pawn. But they did not like his wife. 
which is what's going to lead to this whole story. <laughs> Even in his will, Prestius tried to strike a balance between the Asini and the Romans. In it, he left his kingdom to his two daughters and then to the Roman emperor Nero. Ooh, that guy was wild, and I can't wait to talk about him. Holy shit. The exclusion of Boudicca in his will has led historians to speculate that even when her husband was alive, she did not like the Romans. So, she got cut out from everything. She did not care. She still fucked shit up. This client state arrangement came crashing down once the dude died. So she's ready to fuck shit up. But then the final straw to all this was the public humiliation and the scourging, which is the polite way of saying public flogging of the proud queen. And she was recently widowed. And then she was forced to watch her two daughters be raped by Roman soldiers. So imagine you just got beat in front of your people. You're already proud. You already fucking hate the Romans. And then you watch her children get humiliated and violated. She was ready for some blood. And she got it. Very fair. Yes. I, I There's nothing about this where I'm like, she overreacted. Mm-hmm. She did exactly what she needed to do. And there are also some like sources that say a lot of her family members were enslaved, too, by the Romans. So it's not surprisingly that the rebellion began in 61. Much of what we know about her in the rebellions comes from two Roman writers, as Publius Cornelius Tacitus, what a name, <laughs> and Cassius Dio. So a lot of all this is coming from their sources. She focused her wrath on the Roman settlements of Camud. Oh God, Cam- <laughs> I didn't look this one up. Camoldunum, Camold, Cam- oh my God, <laughs> Camold, All right, modern day Colchester and Londonum. Which is London. Who knew it had all those extra letters in it? And she burned them both to the ground. And archaeologists have actually found evidence of the fires to this day. Like, scorched that shit to nothing. To the fact that even today we can still find evidence of the fire. I find that badass. And at, oh my god, I have to say it again. Come on. <laughs> Such a bad word. In London, the results of the Venetian revolt may be compared on a smaller scale to those of the volcanic eruption smothered Pompeii in Herculaneum. So they're saying the ferocity of this fire is similar to what they found at Pompeii. Like wow. she did not. Oh, I just love her so much. Uh, The towns were destroyed. In addition, Tacitus claims that Bedice would also destroy the towns of Verol... Oh, my God. Verolinium. Although the archaeological evidence for this is a little less clear. Bedice was helped by the fact that at the time her rebellion was launched, much of the Roman army in Britain was on the Isle of Anglesey in Wales, destroying a druid site in Mona. So, Romans aren't looking so hot in this whole story. This meant that for a while, the rebels would only encounter small numbers of Roman troops. After her successes, Dia records, Bedice's army swelled to 230,000 people. And it might be exaggerated, but she had gotten a lot of support. For a society as patriarchal... Oh, no, we just lost Frankie. Nope, hit the wrong button. Okay. (laughs) 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 So... (laughs) For a society as 
society as patriarchal as Imperial Rome, the fact that a woman has succeeded in killing so many Romans really pissed them off. Quote, two (laughs) cities were sacked, 80,000 of the Romans and their allies perished, and the island was lost to Rome. Moreover, all this ruin was brought upon the Romans by woman. A fact within itself caused them some great shame. (laughs) (laughs) I know. See, it's like... They're smell funguses. They're just complaining, like, oh, this woman's just beating us up, and I don't understand. See, uh, personally, if a woman beats me up, I'm going to go, God, she was a badass. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. University of Lanchester professor David Mattingly writes that the Roman commander of the island, Gaius Suetonius Polyanus, amassed what horses he could Numbering perhaps only 10,000 men, he gave the Battle of Bidicha somewhere near Walting Street, an ancient road, a road on the island. While Polonus Paul, uh, was heavily outnumbered, he did have several other advantages. His legionnaires were well-trained, equipped, and probably battle-hardened, while her forces, on the other hand, were anything but that. In, quote, a fast-moving rebellion, there was neither time to fabricate large numbers of arms, nor evidently was there the opportunity for rebel forces to pillage major stockpiles of the Roman weaponry? He notes that while a core of her army was properly armed, many of the rebels will have had no body armor and will have been provided with makeshift weapons, like agricultural tools. So basically like axes and shovels and shit. So at this point, this battle, they're not ready at all. Additionally, scholars don't know precisely where he engaged Padicha. We know from Tacitus that it was a narrow defile with a forest at the rear. This meant the Padicha could not bring her superior numbers to bear on the Romans' forces. Also, Tacitus notes that Padicha made a tactical mistake by placing her supply wagons close to the front lines, which blocked her troops when they had to retreat. So it's just like a perfect storm of not great. So the Roman legions start the battle by launching spears at the British. These spears would have killed some Brits and hit the shields of others, possibly striking them and rendering them useless. Then the Roman troops rushed out in a wedge-like column, similar to the onset of the auxiliaries, while the cavalry with extended lances broke through, all offered strong resistance. So, huge battle, and then they were like, oh, we need to retreat, but then the wagons are there, and they can't retreat. So it ends up being a mass slaughter of the Britons. The battle over Tacitus said Bidicha took poison to avoid being captured because he knew that she was going to either be, you know, put into slavery or worse. So, worse. yeah, probably worse. Same thing like Cleopatra. As soon as she got caught, she's like, fuck this shit. Got yeah. bit by a snake. It's like, I'm not going to be dragged through the streets. Like, the humiliation alone. They're like, not going to happen. You know they would have to humiliate her, too, because she was a she who was better mm-hmm. than them. Yes. Yes. And it, it's estimated 80,000 Romans died because of hers. So they're probably pissed and they're not going to admit that they're humiliated by a woman. So they were going to do horrible things to her. So do not. I understand why she did it. It would have been really bad. So even after this happened, Britain became part of the Roman empire until the fifth century. So Long ass time before the western half of the empire collapsed. So she was a good blip in it. She had a good run, but ultimately, Rome still had a stronghold on Britain. 
And then while it failed to drive the Romans out of Britain, the ascending queen has become something of a modern day heroine. But much like classical learning, the story of Bedicia and her fights in Britain was largely lost until the Renaissance when Tacitus histories were rediscovered and republished across Europe. Shockingly, people just forgot about her for a long time. And the rediscovery of Tacitus, whose works began to trickle into Britain during the reign of the Tudor monarchs, caused a stir. And it was such a popular thing at the time that even Queen Elizabeth I used, like, quotes from her in her speeches. She was inspired by this warrior queen, which I thought was really cool. So the Tudor England was a time when, I mean, this was like, uh, source, uh, what's up? Jesus, King Arthur and all that. The stories coming out with, like, fantastical stories and wizards and courtly knights and stuff are really big. So a lot of people started writing stories about her. In the 1782 poem, Bodicha, an ode, he talks about a bleeding from Roman's rods, the vention in her eyes, and the spear in her hand. So they start talking about her as this badass warrior. Some modern historians argue that Bodicha's reputation suffered a decline after the reign of James I and the Sixth. Following her Elizabethan heyday, the return of a man to the throne spelled the end of the celebration of an unorthodox woman. I am not shocked. It's, That's a good thing? <laughs> yeah, they were just like, fuck that, we ain't talking about her no more. It is not surprising that Bedicia was viewed with suspicion and a misogynistic ear on the part of some writers and audiences. This was true, for example, of the poet John Milton. Milton had little time for pagan queens. <laughs> in his prose History of Britain, published in 1670s, he dismissed her as a shameless harridan who ought to have kept her story tale of assault, rape, and humiliation to herself. So fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Yeah, of all the things. You don't talk Oof. about anything she did. Just be like, she should have just kept it to herself and left it alone. No, you don't. No, no, no. Who do you no. think she should have made you a sandwich to, you dick? so you know his dislike of her stemmed from a distaste for the notion of women in power as a female chieftain and a pagan to boot Budita represented everything that horrified him and a lot of people at the time but his critical take on Budita can be contrasted with that of antiquary and historian Edmund Bolton a penniless hanger-on of the court of James I I just like that. Pinnously hanger on. And Bolton made his way with only partial success by writing for the court. And in 1624, he wrote the first detailed account of her rebellions in Tacitus. Bolton intended to write a history of the reign of Emperor Nero, but was taken by her story and devoted at least half of his text to her and her rebellion. I like that. Yeah. He meant to talk about that crazy dude in Rome, but then he's like, nah, she's cooler. Let's do this thing. So, for the dissident of James Court, at least, Bodicia was nothing less than a great heroine, even if she had been a poor general. Bolton's text is full of entertaining antiquarian speculation. That's a hard sentence to say. It was (laughs) he who first put forward the notion that Stonehenge was erected by the ancient Britons in memory of the warrior queen, which is not true. It's way older than that, but nice thought. In the 17th century, the antiquari- oh my God. antiquarians seemed most keen on Budicia. 
Islet Sams, another anti- why do I have to keep saying this? Antiquarian and historian composed a somewhat tongue-in-cheek tribute to her and her daughters in his illustrated history of Britain in 1770 or 1676. Sorry, dyslexia. To war <laughs> as queen doth her daughters move. She for her wisdom followed they love. For what Rome forced such joint powers could quell before so murdering charms who whole legions fell. Thrice happy princesses had rescued so her daughter's honor and her country's too, but they have ravished, made her understand the harder beauty to secure than land. Yet her example teaching them to die, virtue the Rome honor did supply. But she became a huge icon of British national history, and Queen Victoria herself erected a giant sculpture right next to Westminster Bridge in London that is there today. And she's in a chariot clutching a spear to her chest like she apparently did when she talked to people. <laughs> I think she'd be my next move. Just have a spear. <laughs> and right. then anybody who says anything weird, you just stab. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, You're wearing a red hat? Stab, stab. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the thought that her husband was like, his entire reign was trying to appease Rome. And as soon as he's dead, she was like, fuck this shit. No. Like, they deserved it. It was a small run, but she made her point. I like her. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You want to go next, Frankie? Or- I can do that. All right. So when a lot of people think about historical warriors, at least the people that I talk to, they had a tendency to lean towards men. And usually it's the kind of men that, that they've seen constantly in pop culture and music or music. <laughs> <In film. laughs> you've seen it in music it's there now so in film or tv or you know just things that they've seen and stories that they've heard over and over and over again like you were saying the romans and the greeks have been well, beaten to death more or less <laughs> i wanted to focus on somebody who wasn't any of those things when you had let me know that i was going to be able to to join you guys for this one I decided that what I wanted to do was I wanted to find a woman who was who would be considered a minority, who essentially stood equal with all of the male warriors of her time. Unfortunately, there are a couple of sources that I found that because of how capable she was, the comparison is that she was the Native American Joan of Arc. Oh. <laughs> I feel like Native Americans don't really receive the kind of recognition that they really deserve. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to go with someone who was who was native and, and who was a powerful warrior of her time. And so I went with a woman named Lozen. She was born in the Chehen, which is also known as the, the Warm Springs Band of Native Americans, who were culturally related to the Apache. One of the things about the way that, that Native American bands were basically organized after most of them had been decimated by the United States government. They were they were very, very not as organized as people would assume. And they they had cultural relations, but they weren't necessarily all the same, but they still got grouped in the same. So mm-hmm. although they are often called Apache, the Chihen weren't actually just Apache. So Hudson was born in 1840. There wasn't an exact date that, that we could find uh, or that I could find. 
a couple of different places said that she might have been born before or after 1840, but it was around the same area. So it's generally assumed that it was in 1840 that she was born. Mm -hmm. She grew up during a time where there was a lot of bloodshed between Native cultures and the United States and Mexican governments. The Mexican government had even placed a bounty on the scalps of Apache, including the black hair of of the people who, you know, occupied the scalps to begin with. (laughs) So a lot of um, even peaceful natives were, were killed because of the fact that they had black hair. So there were also multiple native tribes who had references to people who were known as Berdash, otherwise called Two-Spirit. Essentially what they had was, or what it was assumed that they had was that they had the spirits of a masculine and a feminine within themselves. So as they grew, they were trained in both of those aspects. They were trained in the the roles of the, the traditional roles of women in their tribes, but they were also trained in the, the warrior and the male, the masculine, basically things that, that men were trained to do. Mm-hmm. So there aren't really any documentation of, well, from what I could find, there weren't actual documentation of Apache Burdash, but her, the way that she was raised, it basically followed the same kind of parallels and other tribes that would do the same thing during a vigil during her puberty feast. And yes, native Americans, well, the, her specific tribe, practice what is called a puberty puberty feast, which is four days worth of just rituals and and different things that they did once a female achieved what my wife decided to call first blood. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. As much as I want to think of that as a Rambo reference, I know it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) Uh, yeah, there, that's a actually very complicated ritual. And, and the first thing that, that she said when I told her about it is, I want a puberty feast, even though she's, you know, a little no. beyond that. I'm going to be honest. I'm like, no, let's shut this down. No one needs to <laughs> I mean, she hears puberty feast and she thinks, oh, wait, four days of feasting? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How much chocolate is involved? Because I'm down. <laughs> that is true. But the thing is, you don't need to be on those days. I can just do that anytime. Like, true. Yeah. Just throw it down. <laughs> Anyways. So, during, during her puberty feast, she was said to have received the ability to, to promote healing and to also be able to sense enemies. The way that oh, it was said that she was able to do this is she would hold her arms out. And she would turn in a circle. And then when she felt tingling on the palm of her hand, that would be the direction in which an enemy was. What? So that's when my that's lady time, I got nothing but cramps. And she got special powers. <laughs> she got the ability <laughs> <laughs> to sense bad people by holding her arms up. Yeah. Oh, um, so she received those, the power to heal wounds and locate and wounds and locate <laughs> enemies. So after this, she continued to train with shamans. And she continued to go on different multiple quests. And at the same time, she learned to to ride. She learned to fight. She learned to, to shoot with both a bow and arrow and a rifle. She learned how to use ropes. And she also learned how to steal horses. Yeah. Her skills, her abilities were favorably compared among the, the men as being comparable to the best of the, the well-trained men. She was starting to be called the dexterous horse thief. And warrior woman. 
Yes, I love that. Her brother happened to be chief of their people. And there was a time or there was a quote that I found where he actually said, Lozen is as my wife. Let's try that a second time. Lozen is as my right hand. Strong as a man, braver than most and cunning in strategy. Lozen is a shield to her people. Cool. So in 1869, uh, the government of the United States offered to set up a reservation for the Apache in New Mexico under Cochise and her brother, Victoria. Her brother actually didn't want to accept the, the offer until after he had spoken with her. So he respected her enough that he consulted with her before he accepted that, that offer to create a reservation. Um, but of course, shockingly, the U.S. government did what they did multiple times to natives, and uh, they continuously pushed them onto worse and worse land. During this time, a lot of the natives ended up dying because of inadequate resources for them, diseases because they were kept in cramped quarters, and then just battles with other bands of natives. In about 1879, they fled the reservation that they were moved to in San Carlos, in Arizona and spent at least the next three years avoiding capture as best they could. A lot of the Apache leaders tended to, to rely on Lozen's abilities and her, her, her predictions for where the enemies were, for where the, the U S government forces were and where the Mexican government forces were as well. She participated in a lot of the raids in the war councils that they had. And she even participated in their war dances in 1879 as well. They, also made the decision to go to war against the United States military. They refused the government's orders to return to the reservation. And then during one of the skirmishes, in order to confuse the U.S. forces, the tribe fanned out in multiple different directions. They basically just spread out to try to confuse as many of the forces as they could so that they could potentially win the battle. Lawson escaped with a group of women and children and they headed towards the Rio Grande so that they could get these women and children to safety across the river and into Mexico. Once they got there, they realized that the river was flooded. Once they hesitated, this boy was riding behind his grandmother and his observation of it was quoted as I saw a magnificent woman on a beautiful horse. Lawson, the sister of Victorio, Lawson, the woman warrior high above her head. She held her rifle there was glitter as her right foot lifted and struck the shoulder of his of her horse. He reared and then plunged into the torrent. She turned his head upstream and began swimming. And he began swimming. Immediately, the other women and the children followed her into the torment. Once they reached the far bank of the river, cold and wet but alive, Lawson came to my grandmother and said, You take charge now. I must return to the warriors who stood between their women and their children against the onrushing cavalry. Lawson drove her horse back across the wild river and returned to her comrades. So she helped to guide these women and children across the river to safety and then said, I need to go back and continue to help our warriors fight off these people who would come after you. How badass. <laughs> I'm, I am so sad that I've never heard of this story before. I'm so happy you're telling yeah, me. All right, she's... Everything that I've read, she is amazing, an amazing yeah. woman. So in the fall of 1880, they were the band was being pursued through Texas when the women in the when one of the women in the tribe fell into labor. So Lawson stopped and allowed the others to, to continue on while she stopped to help care for this woman and help her give birth, essentially. 
And then she and this woman eluded the Mexican and American forces and moved her from Texas to across New Mexico to the Mescalero Apache Reservation. But while this happened, her brother and their band was ambushed and he ended up dying during that skirmish. Um, The page that I was able to find, it said that he actually specifically committed suicide. Is that the right word anymore? He ended up taking his own life rather than be returned to the reservation where he could die of just basically disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that wasn't an action that was considered dishonorable by the, the natives. Oh. It was considered to be an honorable death. How um, sad is it that you feel like that is the better know, end? The better, yeah, the better yeah. option. That is so sad. But because her brother had had been the one who was in charge, who was the chief of the tribe, and and he was gone, the leadership of the tribe ended up falling to a seventy year old successor named Nana, and mm-hmm. and her medicine man Geronimo. Ooh, so like in the, the Geronimo. <laughs> yes, the Geronimo. Yes. <laughs> so cool. So cool. In the summer of 1881, while she was fighting and and living and and helping Geronimo and Nana to lead this tribe, she captured a herd of horses by herself with a load of valuable ammunition. And then when they left the San Carlos Reservation to continue raiding, there was another battle with the Mexican troops. And during the chaos of this battle, Lozan actually calmly, while being fired upon, retrieved another mule carrying more ammunition. So she stole ammunition <laughs> from the Mexican troops in the middle yes. of the battle. I love her. Uh, so in 1883, her and another woman named Tadaste, which is spelled with a D. So it's really confusing. It's D-E-H-A-S-T-E. But it's pronounced Tadaste. Um, they set up a meeting with Nana and Geronimo to meet with General George Cook. And in that meeting, they agreed to return to Fort Apache. Two years later, the people, they ran away again. In March of 1886, another conference was arranged with General Cook. And Geronimo came close to surrendering, but he changed his mind and ended up fleeing. And Lawson went with him along with the rest of the, the tribes people who, or the tribesmen, tribeswomen, tribespeople. Yeah, <laughs> along with the rest of the people who decided to flee as well. Um, completely lost. <laughs> it's fine. That's completely uh, normal. Uh, That's what I mm-hmm. tell myself. You so, gotta, you gotta scat when you can't find your way. <laughs> and you need a little bun. <laughs> oh, okay. So after he he fled, he changed his mind and fled. General Crook's replacement, a man named Nelson Miles, (laughs) decided that instead of worrying about the rest of the tribesmen escaping and joining the Geronimo and the rest of his band, that he was just going to simply imprison them. So he imprisoned the rest of their tribe, moved them to Florida. Oh, no. And so in the summer of 1886, Losen and uh, Tejaste entered a camp of American soldiers who were stationed in Mexico and announced that Geronimo wanted to meet with them to surrender. At that point, the group of rebels had been reduced to about three dozen men, women, and children. 
So they were a very small band in that part mm-hmm. or at that point. But even though they hadn't been undefeated or they hadn't been defeated in battle at any point, they missed their people. They missed being a part of, of their tribe. So yeah. they agreed to return to them and they were taken into custody and moved to Florida as well. They were held there as prisoners of war until 1913. There is a picture that survives that shows in the, the top, in the middle of it, um, Tejaste and Losen together. But after that, they were moved from Mount Vernon, Alabama. And in 19, or sorry, in 1889, Losen actually caught tuberculosis while being moved. And she died in, at the age of around 50. And she was buried in an unmarked grave of all things with oh, about no. 250 other Apache who had also died from tuberculosis during this move. No. So the accounts that were, were eventually brought forward about her role in the wars of the 1870s and 1880s weren't even published. They weren't even recognized until the late 20th century. But now that that some of her her deeds and some of the things that she did have been brought forward, she's been recognized as one of the leading figures in the final episode of the Native American armed resistance against the invasion of the colonizers from Europe that started with Christopher Columbus. Fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. (laughs) And it's Lewis. Yes, he's he's up there. (laughs) Yes. So this what I what I found and what I actually brought forward, it's not super in depth and I mostly because I wanted to kind of keep it a little bit short and not, you know, 20 minutes worth of talking about one woman, <laughs> even though she goddamn deserves it. She deserves uh, a movie. <laughs> I'm looking um, at She photos. does deserve a movie. She really does deserve a movie. She is a bad. Oh, she looks like a badass. Yeah. Holy. Uh, so the reason specifically that I wanted to go with a native American warrior and I wanted to go with a female native American warrior is because as it is native Americans have been pushed damn near genocide. They've, they've damn near been wiped out. And these people were a very spiritual people. They had complicated relationships. They had a complicated life and their entire world was basically pushed away from them by somebody else who came into their area and said, Hey, this is mine now. Yeah. And then on top of that, they were said, okay, well you should probably be able to live, but we're going to give you the crappiest land that we could possibly give you. And it's, it's sad that that's something that, that happened. And the way that I see it, that every American, we are a descendant of that kind of atrocity. And while we might not want to necessarily admit it, it's Mm -hmm. something that happened. It's something that was a part of of how we got to where we're at. And personally, I think that people need to be more aware of things like this. Mm -hmm. The fact that that Lawson's story, that that some of the things that she did wasn't even brought to light until the late 20th century is pretty sad in the, the way that I see it. She was an extraordinarily brave and an extraordinarily capable woman. But as or being a woman who happened to be a warrior, she was already in the minority in her her group and her tribe and her family. And then that tribe itself is is pushed to the side. Their deeds aren't recognized as well as they should be. And that's one of those things that really makes me kind of sad. But 
she was definitely an amazing woman, even if you don't necessarily believe that she was able to do some of the things that, that they say that she was able to do, especially when it comes to things like healing people or, or you know, detecting where her enemies were. It, it's still something that should be taught and, and something that I would encourage anybody who's listening now or in the future to take a moment, look at Google, find out what kind of native people were originally in whatever area it is that you you currently live in or that you come from and see where those people came from and what kind of things that they did mm-hmm. get a little bit more information into who they were and and what happened to them and why they're not there no that's great advice that was the first thing i did when i moved here i looked to see what natives were here first there's like 20 something in texas arkansas had like three major tribes. Yeah. i was blown away it's so cool there's a map and i'll share it on the website there's a map that will show you a exactly who lived where you live yeah. anywhere in the country it's so cool and it might be a little bit uncomfortable to learn about some of the horrible things that that americans and the american government specifically did to natives but at the same time those who uh, who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. Exactly. So, so that's I'm my screaming. soapbox. That's what I'm screaming till I'm blue in the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, I, mm. oh, that was such a good story. Thank you so much. I mm-hmm. had not heard her story before. Yeah, she was so, definitely an amazing woman. So glad I've learned about her. I really wish it was a movie now. Me too. <laughs> well, maybe that? after I get the book published and everything, and I start yeah, to become famous. TM, 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 TM. It's it's on the internet now. Copyright right now, Frankie. <laughs> Came up with it first. <laughs> we have proof. <laughs> oh, it'd be such a great. I mean, everybody knows about Geronimo, so that's why I was kind of shocked. I'm like, everybody knows about that story or at least yeah. you've heard of him <laughs> is it yeah. every time i hear that name i think of uh stilton <laughs> <laughs> i think of doctor who that was his call geronimo yeah <laughs> anyway thanks everybody for listening warriors part one so exciting join us next week for warriors part two Really, this episode just been an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, it really has. <laughs> John Frankie. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Why no. not? I'm going to probably after this look her up and reread a lot of it about her and everything. Yeah. And if you guys want to watch these episodes live and chat with us and hear all the, <laughs> you hear all the stuff we've cut out join patreon patreon.com slash historical af pod <laughs> oh i love tiny humans <laughs> she's trying to do the ultra with the kids making a bunch of noise <laughs> i love kids they're funny oh. and we got merch that's shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical af and uh i have an essie short short store and i'm selling pod stuff so you can go there too <laughs> animal crossing stuff oh. animal crossing yeah i've sold three animal crossing cups already oh, we're about so to buy two in a couple days, so just, <laughs> just wait. Oh, 
Um, and then social media. Follow us on that. There we go. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye, Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.